Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville, South Carolina. I am your host, as always, Stan McCune, realtor here in Greenville, uh, in the greater Greenville area. If you need to reach me for any reason, if you need a realtor, if you want to talk about the pod, whatever the case may be, my contact information is in the show notes. You can reach me by text, by email, by phone, whatever suits your fancy. I am available for you. And with regard to the podcast, I'd appreciate for those of you that listen, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Make sure you don't miss future episodes. Make sure that you download these episodes. That helps as well, I guess, in some way with the algorithm. Um, and if you can just leave me a rating, leave me a review. Not, I mean, not necessarily me personally, but the podcast, you know, on iTunes or, or Spotify or whatever app it is that you use. Go ahead and give me... Uh, on this podcast, a rating. I would appreciate that. If you could leave a review, some kind words, I would appreciate that as well. All of that helps to further the podcast. Today, um, I'm just going to have a brief, I think, uh, unless I go on a tangent here, a brief little discussion about how I think that this market that we're currently in is different than the market in 2006, 2007. Because we're starting to see some uh, some aspects of okay, uh, frenzy that's similar to 2006, 2007, right before the uh, the economy crashed, basically, during what we call now uh, the Great Recession. And uh, some people are saying, oh my goodness, this feels just like it felt in 2005, 2006, 2007, before the bubble burst. Um, I don't think that what is happening now is comparable to them to to back then, even if some of the numbers look similar. And the reason for that, well, there there are a variety of reasons, and and we're going to get into a few of them here. But it is different in in a lot of ways. And the first way that I would say it's different is back then, everything was the bubble was created based on uh, loose lending, uh, a lot of people that should not have qualified for, for financing were qualifying for financing because banks weren't uh, weren't being careful. Uh, people were getting, you know, uh, all sorts of crazy uh, non-recourse loans and 0% down loans and, and all sorts of, of ridiculous things. And what was happening is people were assuming, oh, I, I can't afford this house I know, but what I can do is I can just buy it, it'll appreciate by 10%, and then I'll sell it next year, make a little bit of money, and just keep keep doing that, right? There there was this, this endless optimism, oh, even if I don't think I can afford this house, I'll just sell it in a few years, and all will be good and well. Well, of course, what happened was when the bubble burst, when uh, all of a sudden, a lot of people couldn't start to make their mortgage payments, and then foreclosures started happening, and then the economy uh, started receding, and then we had the Great Recession, home values in a lot of areas, I'll mention it was a little bit different here in the Greenville area, but in a lot of areas, the big urban areas, home values really started to decline, and so then people found themselves in a really bad situation. They bought house last year for $500,000, Assuming it would be worth five hundred fifty thousand dollars in you know the next year, let's say they bought it in two thousand seven for five hundred, they assumed in two thousand eight it would be worth five fifty, but instead it was worth less than five hundred thousand dollars, 
and they couldn't make their mortgage payments. Those were the people that started to get foreclosed on because now they're in a situation where they couldn't sell. They didn't have a backup plan. They didn't have a way to get out from under that mortgage. Why I think that that is a completely uh, different type of scenario than what we're seeing now. Is it possible that home values won't go up to the same pace in the same way that they're going up right now. Like right now they're going up like 11, 12% market wide, market wide in the greater Greenville area, 11, 12% per year. That's not a, that's not going to keep going. All right. Let's just be honest. Most areas in our market um, are appreciating more at like a five, 6% pace annually. Uh, there are some areas, we've talked about this in the past, some parts of Greenville that consistently appreciate 15 to 20% per year. Those are the more transitional areas. And so we, we do have that. Um, but market-wide, for us to see 11 12% is crazy. If you're banking on that, you should not, okay? Don't bank on that. Uh, but I don't think that most people are. I think that most people are, at least what I am hearing in the marketplace, most of the people that are purchasing real estate right now, they uh, even if they're paying top of the market, this is where they plan to settle down for a while and they can afford it. They don't anticipate that they will have to sell um, within a year or two or whatever the case may be. They are actually planning to stay there. They're not speculating. They're not playing the real estate game like the stock market game where they're day trading, you know, except it's their, it's their primary residence that they're day trading. We're not seeing that to the extent that we saw that 15 years ago. Now, the other thing, though, that I think is is the more significant part of this equation. The lending practices have tightened up dramatically. In fact, we're seeing some lenders right now that, um, and, and some of this is, is government-imposed, they're really tightening down on renting, uh, on, uh, sorry, lending to investors on rental properties. Particularly with these, with these kind of main, you know, conventional uh, types of loans. Obviously, there's always money out there, you know, with these non-conventional type of lending institutions. But conventional loans, things that are government-backed, um, those have gotten really tight because there is concern. We've talked about this in the past as well. There is a there is concern in the government that maybe investors might get in over their head. Now, I, and I can see that. I can see that, and that would have a bad ripple effect potentially for the economy. Um, and so uh, lenders and, and the government are responding to that and they're tightening this up. And actually a lot of lenders last year on their own, uh, at least here in the Greenville area, started doing that. I called a bank uh, that I had used for uh, investment properties, rental properties in the past at one point last year uh, after COVID. And they said, we are not lending. We won't even uh, accept your application. We're not lending on any rental properties at the moment. We're tightening things down. Uh, so banks have learned. They don't want to go through what they went through in 2008, 2009. They don't want to go through that again. Um, but what people are doing now, what, what we are seeing now that we weren't seeing back then is people bringing a, a ton of cash to closing. And this is where it's really a crucial difference. Um, I ran some numbers that there's not a ton of data that's easily accessible out there, but you can Google this if you're really interested. Um, but the amount of, of cash uh, purchases has steadily gone up 
each year for the past several years here in the in the greater Greenville area. But additionally, what what's hard to find uh, numbers on, but what I know is true from from my own experience and from people that I'm talking to in the industry is how many transactions that may not be 100% cash are 20% cash, 20% down payment. People trying to avoid PMI, people trying not to, to take on too much debt. Um, people are waiving their appraisal contingencies, um, for instance, when they're getting into these bidding wars because they have the cash to make up the difference. If the appraisal comes in low, they're saying, okay, we'll bring that extra 10000 that extra 20000 to closing. We want this house. We're willing to pay more. We're willing to pay more than it appraises for because we want this house. You might say, that's crazy. That's insane. Why would I pay more than a house is worth? Well, there, it's actually not as insane as you might think, and here's why. Uh, when you purchase a house for more than it's worth and you're able to bring the cash to uh, make up the difference, to bridge the gap between the appraisal and, uh, and what you're under contract for, you have now reset the market. Let's say that you buy a house for $150 a square foot in a neighborhood that typically sells for $130 a square foot. If you're if you're from out of uh, out of state and you're listening to this, those numbers might sound insane. But in, in a lot of parts of, of Greenville County, um, $130 a square foot is a, a decent number, to be completely honest. Um, so I know in a lot of the country, you know, people are talking about five, six hundred dollars a square foot. We're not that market yet. All right, just FYI, just FYI. Uh, we do have some places where 300 a square foot isn't uncommon, um, but that's typically uh, on the, the higher end of the spectrum for the Greenville market. All right, so let's say that you buy a house for uh, $20 a square foot more, or you're under contract for $20 a square foot more than the average house in that, in that neighborhood. It appraises for 130 a square foot. You're under contract for 150 a square foot. You say, okay. I am going to make up the difference there and pay what uh, out of pocket what I need to in order to bridge the gap. Well, guess what? After you close, when the next house that comes on the market in that area gets appraised, guess what the first appraisal is that that uh, sorry the first comp that that appraiser is going to look at. They're going to be looking at your comp. You just reset the market at $150 a square foot. So yes, you overpaid temporarily. And this is, again, you've got you've to look at it from a long-term perspective. That if, you're, if you're looking to potentially uh, sell within a, a year or something like that, uh, that would not be a good move to make. But if you are, if you are uh, playing a more long-term strategy, you just reset the market for good, you just increase the home values in the entire area, if that's a subdivision in particular, and there are a lot of comps, you just gave everyone in your neighborhood an extra $20 per square foot value. Yay, you! Give yourself a little round of applause. Your neighbors should be taking you out, uh, you know, popping some champagne, uh, making you a, a rock star in that neighborhood because you just helped everyone. And so, in the long term, really, and, and again, 
you have to be, I'm not recommending that you be careless with your money, but in the long term, it usually works out because that value doesn't just go away. The fact that you that you overpaid for your house, you end up helping yourself in the long run because that gives the appraisals the data that they, that they need. That tells, sorry, that gives the appraisers the data that they need. That tells the appraisers, okay, there is a market out here for a home up to this price, and it's a cash market. In fact, what we're seeing, and this does feel a little, a little 2006, 2007-ish, but again, it's different. It's different. And uh, let me back up for a second. 2006, 2007, there are a lot of very loose appraisals happening, all right? And sometimes appraisals weren't happening, et cetera, et cetera. Automated appraisals that aren't accurate were being done. A lot of things like that happened back then, and and that was part of what fed into the housing market crash. Well, we're seeing some of that now today, but the difference is that banks are only doing it when people are bringing a lot of money down, when they're bringing 25, 30% down, then the banks are like, okay, we're fine with with waiving the appraisal in this instance. And, uh, and so that, I think, is a really good thing because the banks are recognizing, okay, the cash is really at the end of the day. Cash is king, right? Cash ultimately determines what the market value is. If people are willing to put a bunch of skin in the game, that tells you that a house is worth what they're paying for it versus people that are just, again, trying to get a house with as little bit down and kind of day trading with the market. Um, That's what we don't want to see. And so as you're looking at what is going on and as you're trying to assess what you should do in this market, if you're a buyer, um, or if you're a seller as well, these things uh, really come into play. So let's just, again, let's talk about the appraisal. One of the biggest things that uh, uh, buyers and sellers both need to be considering is the appraisal contingency. I just had a, a situation where this came up um, where a listing agent really just did not get how appraisals work. I was asking her, you know, hey, do you think that that this house that you've listed, do you think it will appraise? It's a house that was built last year for, uh, sold for less than 210,000. And this person had it listed for 255,000 and was getting uh, multiple offers. And I was just curious, you know, how she was taking it. If it, I wanted to feel her out if she was only looking for offers that didn't have an appraisal contingency or what she thought. Um, and she was like, oh no, there really aren't any comps for this house. We had to go into another area in order to find comps and it's not going to have any problem appraising. Well, guess what? I looked at a bunch of comps. That builder had built a bunch of homes right on that same street and they all sold for around 210,000 and she had hers listed a year later, uh, for 255,000. She ended up accepting an offer, uh, that, I don't know if it had an appraisal contingency or not, but if it does, it is not going to appraise. It's not going to appraise. So I hope uh, for her sake that she either didn't have the appraisal contingency on whatever offer they accepted, even though she didn't seem to understand why that, that why that mattered, um, or that the buyer is able to bridge the gap between, again, what it appraises for and what they have under contract for, because I know that house went under contract for more uh, than it was listed for in the end. So as a seller, you need to be looking at not just the number, right, that uh, is on the offer, 
but that appraisal contingency is really starting to become a big factor. And I'm starting to see now even some listings, which I think that this is a little absurd, uh, but some listings are saying that they won't even look at offers without an appraisal contingency, uh, with, without the appraisal contingency being removed, I should say. Um, they won't look at offers if they have an appraisal contingency. Let me say it that way. They want no appraisals. Well, guess what? In, in uh, South Carolina, the law is that a realtor has to present an offer to the seller, to their seller client. So it you can say, oh, we're not going to uh, you know, look at any offers that have this contingency on it. Well, no, you, you have to. You have to look at those offers. Um, but more to the point, that's just kind of a turnoff to me. If I'm looking at a listing and the seller is saying, it needs to be this, it needs to be no appraisal contingency, it needs to be as is, it needs to be this, it needs to be that. Um, in a lot of situations, that just sounds like a seller that is just going to be overly demanding. Um, so I don't recommend putting all of that out there. Uh, I just recommend, again, me as a realtor, I communicate with people as uh, as they are, uh, as they're talking to me, as realtors are calling me, or as people are calling me interested in my listings, I'm talking to them and explaining to them, okay, here is what we're thinking, here is how we got the the value of the home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, here's how we came up with that. Uh, but obviously, if you don't have an appraisal contingency, that makes your offer a lot stronger. So I recommend that uh, that you don't have an appraisal contingency. Some people, they can't do that. Uh, but in a multiple offer type of, of situation, that's not an unreasonable thing to ask for. I just wouldn't put that out there in the listing itself. Um, as a buyer, again, that's a great tool in your toolbox if you can afford it. Again, if you're only putting 5% down or 3.5% down or 3% down, which is about the lowest, we do have some USDA rural areas that, that do allow 0% down. Of course, VA loans allow for that as well. Um, Anyway, you get the point. There are some low down payment options. If you're doing a low down payment option and you don't have the money to bring more more down, you you have to go with an appraisal contingency. You you don't have a choice there. But if you have extra money just kind of lying around or you're bringing a lot to closing um, or you're paying all cash, waiving the appraisal contingency should, assuming the listing agent understands it, and and when I have clients that are waiving their appraisal contingency, I make sure that listing agent, you know, or or if I'm representing a seller and we receive offers that don't have an appraisal contingency, I'm making sure the relevant people understand how important that is. That is a great tool in your toolbox that should help you, whether you're a buyer making that offer, whether you're a seller accepting an offer, um, that increases the strength of, of the offer dramatically. If I'm personally selling a property and I get a full price cash offer with no appraisal contingency and another one that's you know fifteen twenty thousand above list price, but it's not all cash. You know, it's based on financing, contingent on financing, contingent on appraisal, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm sorry, but give me the all cash offer. Like that's way way more attractive to me as a as a seller than the one contingent on financing appraisal and all that. Um, long story short, that's the strategy 
that helps you today. That's how to make it all practical. But in the end, I don't see this market being like 2006, 2007. Another way that I've seen it, it change is how builders are uh, are addressing this. Builders have really cracked down. And part of this is because cost of construction has gone up. But builders are really starting to, to pump the brakes on new construction. They're not just putting up homes anywhere and everywhere um, and just, you know, selling them instantly. They're taking it conservatively. A lot of builders have said, we're not taking new contracts for a period of time. Maybe they uh, open that up for a few weeks and then close it back again. Um, and so we're seeing, honestly, um, builders being way more conservative than they were back then, which back then it was like, Developers were coming in, we're just buying up everything, and we're just put, throwing up homes, and we're just selling them. And then when, again, when the bubble burst, the a lot of builders went out of business, and a lot of developers got in, in big trouble. And you had some of these neighborhoods that were partially finished, um, and the people that had bought in the neighborhoods ended up uh, really getting hurt because the rest of the neighborhood didn't get finished. And then some of their neighbors got foreclosed on, and then that dragged down the value of everyone else. We're not seeing that happen in this market. It's different. I, I'm much more um, optimistic about the direction of where this market is going. Now, I do hope it slows down, right? This has been uh, very difficult for my buyer clients, having to do a ton of work right now, showing houses, going all over the place for, for my buyer clients right now. So we hope that it does uh, correct a little bit, but I don't think it's going to correct like it did in 2008, 2009, where we saw uh, the entire market go into recession, the entire economy, the, the global economy went into recession. We're not seeing that. Uh, but understanding what's happening, again, can help you as a buyer or as a seller be more informed with how to approach uh, buying and selling, with how to approach what you're doing on uh, on your real estate transactions. If you have any questions about that, let me know. My contact information is in the show notes. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate it even more. If you leave a rating or review, if you hit the subscribe, hit the download button, all those things are great for this show. But until next time, I hope you guys stay safe. Let's buy and sell some houses together.